How about we use a microphone, huh? <laughs> Welcome in, everybody, uh, to the Deep Dive Bible Study. We are on Wednesday nights, 7.30 on the channel. This is part 31 of the Kings of Compromise. I'm your host, Tim Hatch, here at youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. And if you would hit that subscribe button, if you enjoy this content, I would be most appreciative. We are talking about Hezekiah, the end of his life. Really, we're going to take a step backward from our previous content in part 30, and we're going to go forward, and then we're going to look at the generational problems that Hezekiah's lack of gratitude caused. And sometimes we think about gratitude as just such a small issue in our lives as God's people. Can I tell you it's huge? The scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 5.18. 5.18, I think. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Yeah. Five, eight, that's right. It, it is. It says, give thanks. And I am off to a horrible start, everybody. I'm so sorry about this. Let me get this started here for you. Boom. There we go. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Think about how big Thanksgiving is. If God prescribes Thanksgiving in every circumstance, <laughs> that's not, that's not a small issue. So we're in Second Kings chapter 20. We're going to go through the text and we're going to unpack some cool things through Kings of Compromise. Let's start. Okay, like I said, Second Kings chapter 20, and I will spare you the bumper for through the text. Your misery should become your ministry. That is our conversation tonight. Your misery should become your ministry. Nobody likes misery. I don't like it. Do you? Do you like misery? I hate misery. But did you know that it has a it has a purpose and it can become your ministry? And that's what happens with King Hezekiah in chapter 20 of 2 Kings. Now Hezekiah was a wonderfully complicated king in Judah. He shows us, however, that there is a severe danger to forgetting who the Lord is, what he has done for you, and how he has rescued you in the past. And he shows us um, by warning that we've got to keep our hearts on God beyond the successes of our lives. So many times in your life and my life, we look at God when we are struggling and we forget God when we are, when we are succeeding. That was the case for Solomon. And in many ways, Hezekiah is a new Solomon. That was the case for um, so many of the kings of Israel. And it is the case for Hezekiah. He had a great heart for God in the beginning, but God does these things to deliver him and he forgets God. And that's why Thanksgiving is so important because Thanksgiving, you remember what God has done for you. What does the enemy want to do for you right now? He wants you to forget all the good things that God has done for you. But God wants to remind you of his goodness toward you. So I, so I told you I would spare you this, but I'm not going to spare you this. Let's go through the text. All right, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. Here's what it says. In those days, and let's, let's just take a look at that right, right off the bat. I'm not going to get further than those three words. In those days, because we are going backwards, believe it or not. This is a, this is a flashback. This is a flashback to what we talked about in 2 Kings 18, which is when the Assyrians came in to um, 
ransack Judah in the south after having destroyed Israel in the north. In those days, so in the days that um, Hezekiah is facing the Assyrian onslaught, it says he became sick and he was at the point of death. Uh, So this is a serious sickness, yeah? And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order. For you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Okay, so like I said, the words in those days are important because we are in flashback mode. This is oftentimes how the Bible teaches us, particularly in historical narrative. It tells us some public things and then it flashes back to some private things. So whereas uh, 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, where Sennacherib uh, is attacking uh, Judah to the south after having destroyed Israel to the north, and Hezekiah prays and God answers and God delivers, and then 185,000 soldiers are killed by the angel, um, we have him sick, personally sick, struggling. And Isaiah comes and says, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Let's think about this for a second. He is facing a political adversary, a political trial, and now he is facing a personal battle. So many times in life, that's how it goes. You face a public battle and a personal battle at the same time. And you might think that that's unfair. You might think, why is God allowing this to happen? But he's allowing it to happen because he wants to do something in you so that he can do the same thing that he does in you through you. So... While Hezekiah is struggling with international threats from Assyria, he has a personal threat of a sickness. And we've got to learn to navigate these as God's people. Um, Hezekiah is a man who honored God, as he says here, and yet God allowed him to get sick and to the point of death. And then the the, the command from Isaiah is important. Set your house in order. Right off the bat, I got to ask you a question. Is your house in order? Is your house in order? Am I living with unforgiveness towards someone? Am I, am I owing anyone anything? Have I established some kind of, you know, I don't know, uh, issue that shouldn't be an issue? Have I, how about this? Have I set up my property to go to the children and to the church as that should be or, or to whatever charity or whatever, you know, organization I want to give my money to? One thing we need to make sure is, is that our repentance and commitment to the Lord is in order. Setting our spiritual house in order is more important than any other part of our house. Now, when it says that Hezekiah prays here, the word in Hebrew actually signifies that he is kind of sulking. This word wept bitterly and, and then uh, he turns his face to the wall. These are sulking um, postures in Hezekiah's life. Well, it works. It's not a perfect prayer, but it works. And we're going we're gonna to see here in the next verse, because look at how quickly God answers. Verse Uh, four, it says, therefore, I'm sorry. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle courtyard, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you on the third day. And that, that should just, you know, kind of be noted. Every time we see the third day in the Bible, we've got to remember that God does great things on the third day. The number three is very significant in the scripture. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. Now, this is how we know. This, this portion right here in verse six is how we know it's a flashback. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in the city out of the hand of who? The king of Assyria. So again, flashback. We're going back to 2 Kings chapter 18. 
and I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Okay, so he's got some kind of skin disease because there's a boil on his body and now he is about to die. But God has said, God has heard his prayer. God has said, I will heal you and I will deliver you. I will heal you personally and I will deliver you publicly. This is important. Um, Secondly, this is a sign that God answers weak, sulking prayers. Even our sulking prayers are heard by God. Do you ever feel like you can't sulk to God? Do you ever feel like you got to put on some kind of face and kind of like, you know, uh, be a big boy and, you know, put on your big boy pants and <laughs> act like things are really not as bad as they are. And, you, and all you really want to do is you just want to whine. You just want to whine. Sometimes we got to whine to God. <laughs> Honestly, it's not, it's not ideal, but it's not going to hinder God from hearing you. And I think that that's important to point out here that God will heal, hear even the whines of his people. Now, there is a parallel passage there's actually two parallel passages other than this passage to this moment. And one of those parallel passages in, is in Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah 38 is almost word for word the same thing as in 2 Kings chapter 20, uh, 18 to 20. But Isaiah gives us a sample of Hezekiah's prayer as a, that he prayed to God after he was healed. And in that prayer is Hezekiah's response to his personal trial And in the response of Hezekiah, we find purpose discovered in Hezekiah's mind. Let me give you the verse and then I'll explain it. Isaiah 38, 16, it says this. Oh Lord, this is Hezekiah praying after being healed. By these things men live and in all these is the life of my spirit. Oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So what is Hezekiah saying here? He's saying, I, I was stricken. And yet that strickenness was for my welfare. That, the, 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 that God had to bring Hezekiah to a place where he had no other options. I, I want to do a brief rundown again. When Assyria invades Judah and is on the threshold of destroying her, The first response of Hezekiah is to appease the king of Assyria with gifts and tribute. And then he stops because it's not working. What made him stop? I believe that while he was trusting in Assyria, God brought him sickness. And in bringing him personal sickness, he couldn't buy his way out of that. And what God was doing was allowing Hezekiah to come to the end of his self. God was bringing Hezekiah to a breaking point. You need to learn to thank God for the times that he brings you to the end of yourself where you have no other option except to trust God. Because in those moments you grow and then in those moments you have an opportunity to show other people how God has been enough for you every step of the way. Here's the point. We're going to get back to it later in when we tap into truth. What God does in us personally is for the benefit of those who see us and know us corporately. Your ministry, I'm sorry, your misery is meant to become your ministry. Let's move on in the text. Verse eight, it says, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord shall heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, thus, thus shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall, shall the shadow 
Go forward 10 steps or back 10 steps? And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. And Isaiah the prophet called the Lord, called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. So <laughs> not only does God hear Hezekiah, he gives him the opportunity to receive a sign that God is going to heal him. And this sign is supernatural. The shadow going the wrong way, the wrong time of day, that is a supernatural act of God. God has done this many times before where he has stopped the sun for um, Joshua as he fought a certain battle. Uh, he darkened the sun at the death of his son. And uh, we have that, those cosmic miracles throughout the Bible. Here's another one. But the point was not to show off. We want miracles in our lives sometimes because we want God to show off. But really, miracles have a, have a purpose, and that is for God to instill a confidence in us privately in our own lives that will translate into public affairs in our lives. I would like you to ask yourself this question. Have I allowed the things that I've been going through to shape me, to build faith in me so that other people around me can see the faithfulness of God through me? That's really the, that's really the message of this chapter. Your misery is meant to become your ministry. As God brings you through misery, you can then look to others and people can look to you who have been through the same misery and they can get ministry from you. God was with me through that season. God had my hand through that dark time. God brought me out. God rescued my life. You can be rescued too. That's the point of this passage. It's powerful. It's, it's glorious to start thinking about that as a Christian because that means that there's no pain that doesn't have a purpose. There's no problem that God cannot use to proclaim Christ through you to other people. This is the passage. That, this is the meaning of this passage. This is why God stricken Hezekiah uh, personally with sickness at the same time that Hezekiah is politically stricken with the with the invasion of a foreign adversary. And it's a lesson for you and for me that God is always in the business of developing inward trust so that we can, we can demonstrate outward faith in God. Amen. Powerful lesson right off the bat here. So verse 12, it says this, at that time, Merodach, uh, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick and Hezekiah welcomed them and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the pressure oil, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his room that Hezekiah did not show them. Okay. <laughs> Hezekiah. One commentator calls Hezekiah the ultimate human king because he takes two steps, uh, one step forward and two steps back. So again, this is in the framework of Assyria is like knocking on the door of Judah Hezekiah has been healed personally, but guess what? The Babylonian king comes over and says, hey, I got the same problem you got. I don't like this Assyria. They're, ca they're dominating everybody. Hey, what, what's going on with you? And he comes in and he shows Hezekiah, I mean, and Hezekiah shows this king, this pagan king, all this in his storehouse. And what you're seeing here is Hezekiah is, is retreating back to his old practices. Instead of learning the lesson that God has delivered me, miraculously for the point of 
teaching the people to trust God. He is now trusting in Babylon, starting to make an alliance. Yeah, look at all I got here. In case you need some of what I got so that I can defeat Assyria with you, let's, let's tag team here. Let's, let's make a treaty and we can have each other's backs. Okay, this is what Hezekiah is doing. Instead of trusting God in the midst of this trouble and tribulation, it's unconscionable, but it is what is happening in this moment. So verse 14 says, then, Hezekiah, then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? Now remember that the Lord is always watching. The Lord is always listening. And Isaiah says, okay, what just happened, Hezekiah? What did these men say? From where did they come? And Hezekiah said, they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? He said, they've seen everything. There's nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. So this is the bad news. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah in verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, and this is the saddest portion of this text. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? Yikes. What Hezekiah missed, and I want you to make sure you don't miss it, is that God showed up personally so that God would be declared publicly. And instead of declaring God's glory to the nation, instead of Hezekiah saying, hey, listen, nation, God brought me to the end of myself. And he healed me and miraculously showed me that he was going to heal me. And he did that to show you so that I could tell you that God is always bigger than what we're facing, even foreign nations. But instead of that, he starts, he starts lining up with the king of Babylon and basically seals the future of the, the, the fate of the, of the nation because now Babylon knows there's a bunch of money in this kingdom we can come for someday. And when Babylon takes center stage in the world's uh, in the world's affairs, they're going to come in and get all that um, Hezekiah has stored up, and they're going to take his sons, just as Isaiah says here, captive and as slaves. And that's the exile. That's the end of the kingdom. It's unbelievable, but it all hinges on one one terrible mistake. Hezekiah failed to realize that your public uh, that your private deliverances are intended for public proclamation. Are you taking what you're facing? Are you taking the stories that God has written on your heart and in your life and making sure that you are using those stories to encourage faith in others? Or are you just thanking God that you've got peace? What, 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 does, what does Hezekiah say? Oh, good. There'll be peace in my day. And there's some commentators that kind of want to absolve Hezekiah of any wrongdoing here because they want to say, well, you know, you can't control what happens in the next generation. Oh, yes, you can. You can't control it. No, you can't control it. But you can influence it. You can influence it. If Hezekiah had done a better job of communicating God's faithfulness in his own life, then the people of Israel would have had faith in God in their next gener in the next generation, in the next phase of their battles. It is the job of every generation to teach the next generation about the faithfulness of God. Psalm 145 verse four says, one generation shall commend your works to another and they shall declare your mighty acts. Of course, who is our true Hezekiah but Jesus Christ who ministers for only three years in public and then left the message in the hearts of those he mentored and they carried it on and now it has been passed on from generation to generation for 2000 years. You don't have to live long to make a lasting impact. 
but you do have to take what God does in you and, and, and spread it beyond you. Hezekiah is, un- unfortunately, he, he, he failed. He failed in this regard, and the nation will suffer as a result. So let's move on. Verse 20, the summation of Hezekiah's life. Very familiar refrain in second, first and second Kings. Verse 20 says, The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all, that his might, and, and all his might and, all, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the books or in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Couple things here that we see: Hezekiah has great um, industrial accomplishments. He's doing aqueducts, water delivery into the city before the Romans. You know, the Romans are known for their aqueducts. You can go to uh, some areas in ancient Rome, uh, in Rome today. You can go to some parts of what was the Roman Empire and see. Even in Israel, you can see these elevated these elevated structures. Their aqueducts that the Romans put in around the world. Well, guess who actually? Started that Hezekiah, Hezekiah, who was miraculously and wonderfully delivered and healed, and yet failed to think about anyone beyond himself. This is what is so important about this text, so that we understand that that this, the struggle is actually a good thing for us. Because in the struggle, we learn to trust God, and in trusting God and learning to trust God, we can then send that message beyond us to those who need it um, after us. And let's be honest, and we'll get to this later. Do you do better in regards to your personal faith when you're under trial or when you're successful? I'm guessing that you're like me. I bear down deep into my faith when I'm in struggle. (laughs) When I'm successful, watch out. It goes straight to my head. Anybody with me on this? Just raise your hand in the chat, please, in the comments below. (laughs) Just put a little hand emoji up. Does even minor, do even minor victories in your life go straight to your head? Because they do with me. And that's part of my flesh. I win and I think, I've done it. And then, and then I'm losing and I think, God help, you know, because that is unfortunate. Be, the, 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 the unfortunate battle that we have with the flesh, the flesh always wants to take credit for what the spirit does. So that's the 20th chapter of Kings. That's the end of Hezekiah's life. And now we have to ask this question, what happens after a, what happens generationally when one generation says that the blessings of God are not actually for me to pass on to other people in a message and a testimony to, of God's faithfulness, but they hold on to it for themselves. They say, okay, good. Peace in my time. Neville Chamberlain, right? Peace in our time. What happens? Bad things happen. Let's go to the text. Chapter 21, verse one. Manasseh, this is Hezekiah's son, was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hesbazabah. I'm sorry about all these names. They're so hard to, to pronounce. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. I'm going to go really quick through this because it's dark. And what you're going to really find is that Manasseh is the worst king of all the kings of Israel and Judah. Let's go. Let's continue, though. Verse four, he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I'll put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of the Lord, which, of which the Lord 
said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. What is Manasseh doing? He is doing a replacement of God's name with the name of the Baals and the false, false gods around them. By the way, this text also very clearly illustrates that any kind of sorcery, fortune telling, omens, spiritism, mediums, these are out of bounds for God's people period, full stop. If you know anyone that's engaged in these things, you've got to reject that. You've got to get away from them. It's not good. It opens your spirit to the demonic realm. You have got to renounce and reject any kind of spiritual medium or spiritual practices that that this world and um, unbelievers offer you. Christians cannot go see tarot card readers. They cannot get their, they, they must not get their fortune read. They've got to run from these practices. These are the practices of pagans. We do not have to study the stars for our future because we are connected intimately to the one who made those stars. Amen. We do not have to seek out mediums to connect with the spirits. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And this goes for your kids too. watch out what they're doing. Don't get them a Ouija board. Don't get them spiritualized games. Don't let that come into your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, but this is what Manasseh does. It gets worse, ladies and gentlemen. It says um, that God continues to pronounce judgment on Manasseh. Verse 8, I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander anymore out of the land that I gave their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I've commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done these evil things more than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Judah, Jerusalem and Jerusalem and Judah such disasters that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. This is God kind of ratcheting up his language to say, this is going to hurt and it's going to hurt big time. Uh, verse 13, and I will stretch over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Now we had already discussed this, that God knew this was going to happen even way back in Deuteronomy. He pronounced it through Moses. But now it's done. And he has given them uh, 800 years of mercy. And now it's Manasseh has crossed the threshold, the, the, the line of no return. There's a, a point of no return. This Manasseh has crossed it. God is going to wipe them like a dish. That's, that's how powerful God's judgment can be. People think, well, when I, get to, when I get to heaven, I'm going to explain to God. No, you're not. You're not going to explain to God anything. He is God. He is overall. He is beyond all. He, will, he can wipe the floor with you. And that's just the fact. And you've got to humble yourselves before this God because he is that powerful. As Israel, unfortunately, finds out the hard way in our text here, uh, this episode of the deep dive. So verse 16, moreover, Manasseh set, shed much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other beside the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, just a pause here because we know from Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, that Manasseh uh, slaughtered the 
uh, servants of God, the prophets, including very possibly Isaiah, who legend or at least historians tell us was sawed in two. And Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews chapter 12 or 11 talks about that. So Isaiah, who had counseled Hezekiah, is now martyred under the rule of Hezekiah's son Manasseh, sawed in two. That's gruesome if you think about it. This is how evil Manasseh is. Then the summation of his life, and this is there's a little note I want you to see here. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all they did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah and Ammon, his son reigned in his place. This is the only king that it is talked about that is buried with his sin. Did you see that? It's so amazing and sad at the same time that that is the uh, summation of his life, that he is buried. Uh, and let me just make sure that you see this. Uh, yeah, Manasseh means forgetful. He is buried with his sin and the sin that he committed. Isn't that crazy? By the way, everyone who dies outside of Christ is buried with their sin. So Manasseh's name means forgetful. Why do I bring that up? Because when you forget God, your life becomes forgettable. And when you don't take time to remember God and declare his faithfulness in your life to yourself and to those around you, people and you will forget the Lord's goodness. And there's always a consequence, not just for you. That's the point of this passage, but for your children and for those beyond you, because it is the responsibility of one generation to pass the faith on to the next. So that's Manasseh, Hezekiah's son. Let's look at Hezekiah's grandson, Ammon, not better worse. Verse 19, Ammon was 22 years old and began to reign and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And that's how quick his reign is because he's that wicked. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotbah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshiped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. The people were done with all the evil. Really, that's what's happening here. So you've got a son that is evil. You've got a grandson that is evil. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. All because Hezekiah does not pass the faith on to the next generation. Verse 24, but the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against Ammon, King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon and all he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. So there's hope in this passage. Let me show you the hope. The hope is that in spite of Ammon's wickedness, guess who's right around the corner? Guess who's right around the corner? Josiah. And Josiah is going to be perhaps the, I would say, second most righteous king in Israel's history. It's unbelievable to think about that. Maybe third. He's right up there with Hezekiah. He's right up there with David. And out of the ashes, God brings hope. That's the text. Let's talk about what we can learn from this, these two challenging chapters. Okay, thoughts to conclude this talk, tapping into truth. Choose your poison in life, success or suffering, or on the screen, suffering or success. <laughs> two thoughts I wanna give you. When Hezekiah suffered personally, he sought God di diligently. When Hezekiah was successful professionally, he retreated spiritually. Like I asked you the question before, do you do better in terms of your faith when you're succeeding 
or when you are struggling. And more often than not, we are far more diligent in prayer and in seeking God when we struggle than when we succeed. Which kind of annihilates that argument about the wrestling with suffering and evil in the world? One of the biggest complaints atheists have with God. Why the evil? Why the suffering? Why does, like, why does God let bad things happen? You know, the fact of the matter is, is that if God did not allow bad things to happen, I don't know if anybody would ever seek God. Seriously. And it's kind of ironic that the people who are often the most blessed are so open to atheism when the people who are the most stressed, the most, uh, the poorest, the, the, the most tortured, if you will, in life are the ones who are more, most faithful toward God. Success can be a trap that leads us away from God. Not everybody can handle success. It is a trap. And so the second thing that I want to bring up here uh, in the text is that what God does in us personally is for the benefit of those who know us corporately. What you have here in this chapter is a failure to communicate, (laughs) to borrow a line from a famous movie, a failure to communicate the goodness of God in one's life to the generation that comes up from behind him. Your misery is meant to become your ministry. So that means you have to stop right now and you have to identify what has God allowed to happen in my life that I need to think about. He rescued me. He delivered me. I want to know if there's anybody brave enough to put it in the chat below, in the comments below. What did God deliver you from that you need to let other people know publicly right now? Man, don't hesitate. That's what the comments are there for. I love your comments, by the way. And let us know God delivered me from or God set me free from or God brought me through whatever it is, let people know because there's a good chance that somebody beyond you, somebody who's watching this will read those comments and they will see their story in your declaration of God's glory. What does David model for us in Psalm 34? What does he say? Verse 11, he says, come, O children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. But later in that same chapter, in the same Psalm, he says, many are the afflictions of of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So when when David says, listen to me and I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord, uh, heads up, many are your afflictions if you're going to try to serve the Lord, but the Lord delivers you. David did not fail where Hezekiah failed. David got delivered and he told other people about it. David got healed. He told other people, other people about it. And, and you say, well, why are you pressing in on this? You know why? Because this is the greatest news I have to offer you today. Anyone who struggles can serve to show others the goodness of God. That means you, with your struggles in the past, or maybe even in the present, that God is getting you through. You're walking through the shadow of death, of the, valley, uh, the, the shadow of the valley of death you can be used in discipleship. Isn't this incredible? You have to remember that that life is going to offer you suffering, much suffering, many trials, many troubles. Please don't base your life on successes. A lot of people say, I can't lead people to Christ. I have have so many struggles myself. Well, are you walking through those struggles? Have you come out of some struggles? Have you gotten through some struggles? Yes, you can, because you know what people relate to? Do you know what? I know this from 25 years of preaching. Do you know what people relate to about me most is when I share my struggles. 
when I share that I'm also walking through some things and I need God and I'm struggling through this and people hear that and they say, man, if pastor can struggle with that, I can struggle with that. Man, if God, God can bring him through that, he can bring me through that. Don't build your life on your successes. Build your life on your deliverances. Build your life on your um, rescues from evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And afterward, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Amen? Goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. Come on. You need to learn to do that so that other people who are also struggling, because there's no one who doesn't struggle, will be able to relate to the goodness of the Lord in their generation. Charles Spurgeon famously said, every generation needs regeneration. And what he means by that is, and I'll put it in layman's terms, God has no grandchildren. So if you, if you hold your mouth, if you do not share these things, you might need to sit down with your children tonight and say, hey, I want to let you know. I, I've never let you know this, but I'm going to let you know. God delivered your father from blank. One of the best things moms can do is say, hey, you know what God is working on in my life? I, I'm working on being patient or I'm working on, and I know I need, and yet God has grown me. And you're teaching your kids. You're teaching your kids that the Lord is the one who shaped you. Your kids don't need you to be perfect. No, no, no. They need you to persevere in faith and then share it. How many of you could say the people that I thank God for in my life are the ones who are honest about their mistakes and failures and how God rescued them from them? Well, if, they, if you benefit from those stories and others, pass it on. So uh, this applies to ministry as well. Let me, let me give a wider angle view of this. Every church and by implication, every Christian must choose. You can either delight the crowds or disciple the converted. And we are in a generational struggle right now where there's two kinds of churches out there. And by churches, I mean these evangelical churches, uh, cool churches especially. The temptation for pastors is to delight the crowds. Let me, let me put on a big show. Let me put on a big performance. Let me make them happy and feel good and walk out the door and say, oh yes, I, that really you know, encouraged me. Or do we disciple the converted? And that is where we teach the whole counsel of God. And we teach people about what's right, what's good, what's pure, what's true, what's helpful, what's noble, what's commendable. Let's lead God's people into those things. Even if it's uncomfortable, let's rescue them from the dangerous traps of the lies of their generation. That's discipleship. We don't delight crowds. We don't, del and, and so back to you personally, don't live, don't define your life by the successes. Define your life by the struggles that God brought you through. Amen. Billy Graham said the greatest legacy that one can pass on to your children and grandchildren is not money or other material things, but a legacy of character and faith that God, I held kids, grandkids, I held on in spite of the challenges of my life. And man, the next generation needs that. So I'm going to leave you with um, some options for you on getting involved in this process, because it's not, it's not just enough to hear this. Like, I imagine that all of you are agreeing with me. You're saying, okay, yeah, I do need uh, to do a better job of telling my next generation, telling people around me. And then when I say next generation, I'm not necessarily talking about your kids. I'm talking about anybody beyond you in the faith because it might not be your kids. It might be a, a coworker. It might be a family member. It might be, uh, that's not your child. It might be a friend that's, or somebody that you lead to Christ. But the point that I want to make sure you're aware of is that you can be involved in discipleship. Seven real quick points. You can serve in your local church to welcome new people into the church, into the body of Christ. You can, number two, invest your time, uh, invest your time with your children in Bible reading and Bible study. That's discipleship. You can, number three, lead a small group or assist in leading one. 
Number four, you can fund the gospel through your local church, tithes and offerings. Number five, you can bring others with you into your current walk. Hey, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Let's walk through this together. Number six, you can intentionally invest in someone new in the faith. Who is getting saved around you? Who is coming to Christ around you? Are you opening your life to them? Are you opening your home to them, your doors to them? And number seven, you can pray for the spread of the gospel and soft hearts to hear it. That, that's simple stuff. It's not hard. To, you don't have to do all seven, but do one. And the point is, don't be a Hezekiah. Don't be a Neville Chamberlain. Peace in my time. As long as I don't have to deal with the Nazis, what do I care what they're doing? No, the, the next generation will look back on you and say, what were you thinking? And in the spiritual life, we have to say, hey, wait a second. I've got stories that, that God has worked in my life. And it's time for me to shout it from the rooftop. Have you put it in the comments yet below? I know we don't get many comments on this, um, uh, this show on the channel, but I'd love more comments and feedback from you guys. Share what God has brought you through in the comments below. Tell someone else about it. One more verse is going to blow you away. I told you that there were parallel passages to the Hezekiah moment. There's one other parallel passage, uh, harmonious passage, uh, retelling, if you will, of the Manasseh moment. And Manasseh was a bad dude, right? The worst king ever. <laughs> Here, here's, here's what's really going to shock you. The Second Chronicles uh, narrative of Manasseh's life shows us that he humbled himself, sought God, prayed, and was delivered. And then came to know the Lord. This is a guy who was throwing his kids in the fire and God delivered him. Let me show you the passage. You're not going to believe it. Second Chronicles 33, 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army, of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains and bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and look at this. And God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Can you believe that? Manasseh came to faith. The worst king in Judah's, Israel's history repented and received the Lord. No one is too far gone. And I think that we need to end on that because... Some of you are thinking, I'm a failure. I don't have anything to give. I have nothing to offer. Yes, you do. In fact, if you're a failure, you've got your failures to offer God. Who, who takes failures and turns them into testimonies? If you've got a mess, you can offer it to God, and he will take your mess and turn it into a message. If, you, if you're going through a test, he will turn your test into a testimony. You know, I'm, I'm using preacher speak here, but you understand what I'm saying. There is a point to it. There's a purpose to it, and your misery is absolutely meant to become your ministry. Thanks for being here, guys, tonight. That is the conversation that we're having around God's Word tonight. I hope you were blessed by it. Support the channel through the Cash app, TimHashLive, TimHashLive.com slash support. The book Ending Emptiness is way away. I'm sorry to say that, but it's far away. I didn't realize how far the publisher is from uh, publishing it. So uh, keep Note of that, we're still working on it, on the content as well, and it's going to be great, and I'm trusting it's going to bless your life, but I would appreciate that you sign up to support the channel so that we can get that book into your hand, and then 10 Questions with Tim should be tomorrow, but I think we're going to push that back a couple of weeks, so get your questions in. There's always a bunch in the 
queue already, but get your questions in. It's not tomorrow. Uh, I think two shows with me a week is enough. Raise your hand if you agree. No, don't do that. <laughs> Just subscribe to the channel and click the like button. Um, also, you can share this content on your social media page. I'm so glad that you guys were here with me. I look forward to seeing you guys on the deep end on Tuesday. God bless you and have a great night.